What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Bloody Angola, a podcast 142 years in the making, the complete story of America's bloodiest prison, and I'm Jim Chapman. Woody could not make it today, unfortunately. We had plans to meet up and do this podcast together, but uh, he had an emergency he had to attend to, so we're going to continue on, and I'm going to do this one solo. 
So as you all know, we like to give you, you know, many different aspects of Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola when we tell our stories. And sometimes they might relate to the laws that have passed that affect those inmates that are housed in Angola or some of those inmates. And today's story, it is the story of a murder that took place in St. Francisville, Louisiana, of an eight-year-old child uh, where the person who committed the murder it was 16 at the time of the murder. And this would relate to what we've been telling you lately with the laws that have changed where someone gets sentenced to life in prison with no parole and they are a minor, they actually get a chance at parole at some point. And I know you've we've talked about that quite often, so you're familiar with that. As a matter of fact, our last episode, Montgomery versus the state of Louisiana, really broke down uh, how that law uh, got put in place. So, we're going to talk to you today about a current Angola inmate by the name of Trevor Reese. We're going to dive into what he did. We're going to talk extensively about the trial. Unfortunately, there's not a ton of information about his time in Angola, although I'm sure and I hope it sucks for him. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. So first of all, we're going to tell you about the victim in this case and so we're going to tell you about Jackson Atuso, and he was known as Smiling Jack, and he was the son of Dr. Monique and Craig Atuso. And he had the nickname Smiling Jack because he went to sleep at night with a smile on his face, and he woke up each morning with that same smile. Uh, Monique, Jack's mom, was and still is internal and family medical doctor that practiced in the neighboring town of Clinton from where this murder took place. And Monique actually grew up in Clinton and small town life was very important to the Atuso family. So let me tell you a little bit about Clinton and St. Francisville. And look, Woody is from Clinton. I wish he was here and, and could tell you a little bit in more detail about it, but I'm, I'm somewhat familiar. I've been there uh, many times. And, and uh, so we'll talk about Clinton first, small town. Uh, everybody knows everybody, at, uh, you know, in Clinton, it is a tight knit community. It's kind of the, the country, I guess you could say the countryside of Louisiana, uh, very small town feel, small town life. And it neighbors what's known as St. Francisville, Louisiana. So obviously Louisiana is pretty flat. There's not there's not mountains, you know, here by any means. But when you get into St. Francisville, you get into kind of the bluffs area of uh, Louisiana. If you're from areas of the country where you have, you know, mountainous terrain and stuff like that, you would laugh at what we call hills. Even if you have hilly terrain, you probably laugh at what we call hills. But it is the highest points in Louisiana uh, that you can get to. And it's very pretty uh, in that area. It's it's often traveled to and they, they have a, an antique it's an antique type area. They even have a Civil War battlefield in the St. Francisville area. So uh, it's a, it's kind of a travel destination even for locals 
to kind of get away and go check out. And uh, so I wanted to give you an idea and kind of set the scene for what we're going to talk about. And Jack treated each day as kind of a new adventure. And he was a third grade student at Silliman Institute in Clinton, same place Woody Everton graduated from. Silliman is also the same school that Monique attended, uh, his mother. Jack was athletic. He enjoyed sports, and he was even on the all-star eight-year-old baseball team and what's known as the peanut football team, which is like the little league football team there. And both sports were very popular in the small town of Clinton. Uh, It's very important to mention also that Monique and Craig had have two other boys. Jackson's twin brother's name was Zachary. He was a twin. And he had another brother, Mark. Zachary and Jack, the twins, were adopted by the Atuso family from Russia in 2003. And the Atusos adopted them with the dream of offering these boys a loving home. And that's just what they did. Uh, and Trevor Reese, we're going to talk about him a little bit. He's the perpetrator in this case. He was a tall, slim, burly-haired 16-year-old. At the time of this murder, he was a senior in high school at Baton Rouge Magnet High School, and he was a straight-A student. And let's talk about Baton Rouge High. Baton Rouge High is a public school, but you have to be extremely smart to go to Baton Rouge High, especially during this time. And as a matter of fact, they have – governors of the state of Louisiana that attended Baton Rouge High School. Uh, it's a it's a magnet school uh, based primarily on gifted and talented uh, young men and women who uh, exhibit high test scores and things like that. And he was a straight A student at that school. So extremely smart uh, individual. Little is really known or come out about Trevor's childhood. What we do know is, like I said, he was considered highly intelligent at the time of the crime. And he was even later described by a psychologist by the name of Dr. Robert Davis as kind of an abnormal teen with a superior intellect. His IQ was estimated at between 120 and 129. And what they use these IQ tests for is to determine the mental capacity of, you know, female or male. Are they insane? Did they know what they were doing? Those questions, uh, both sides really need to know the answer to the, the, the prosecution and the defense. But murder is primarily where those tests really come into play. And I know you've, you know, the look, the defense, a lot of times, if it's an IQ that's anywhere below normal, especially that's what they hammer on. They try to use that as a, as a defense that the person didn't know what they were doing. You know, they're, they weren't smart enough essentially. So it is used quite often. Now, memory, mathematical skills, reasonable reasoning, ability, processing, speed, language, All of that stuff is taken into effect to determine the person's IQ and to reference where most people fall compared to where Trevor Reese fell on that IQ scale. Most people fall between 85 and 115 and the average IQ of a 16 year old, which Trevor Reese was 
at the time of this murder is 108. So he was well above that. And we all know what an IQ test is, uh, but knowing Trevor's intellect, it's important in telling the story of this crime. And we'll get into that in a little while. Both the Atuso and Reese families lived in the bluffs. And that was a luxury housing development in the countryside outside of St. Francisville. Very affluent, y'all. The the bluffs, I guess you could say it's the rich part of of the St. Francisville area. Affluent homes, big homes, beautiful out there. Uh, And a lot of people, as a matter of fact, that are retired, will uh, retire to St. Francisville and they'll they'll buy a house in the bluffs. And it's just beautiful. You know, a lot of people envied that area. They wanted to live there, but few, few could. And people would visit from all over the country actually to play the Arnold Palmer design golf course that really set the bluffs off as the place to go and the place to be. It's a beautiful golf course. I played there several times myself, and the area is really covered with these hardwood forests. They have creeks that free flow in this area, and they have even these interconnecting ponds. And the residents, what they like to do when you live in the bluffs is they love these walking trails. Even if you're not living in that area, you'll go to the bluffs area just to use those walking trails. It's just beautiful, y'all. But, you know, the Bluffs wasn't only known for its beautiful walking trails and all that, uh, you know, its beautiful scenery. It was also known and sought after for its sense of security that it offered. Residents had a really great sense of community. They looked after one another. And that wasn't too hard to do. The crime rate was extremely low in the bluffs, especially during this time, but still is. Uh, In fact, according to crime stats at that time, there were two murders in St. Francisville for that entire year of 2010, 44 violent crimes, uh, eight robberies, eight stolen cars and 22 burglaries. And it's a huge area. So that's, that's really nothing And it just doesn't cover the bluffs. It covers the entire St. Francisville area. So there was a feeling of safety. Let's put it this way. People did not worry about uh, safety when you live there. So we're going to take you to the day that this horrific event happened. And on this day, which was June 10th of 2010, the weather was what you would consider a typical summer day in Louisiana. The low was 77 degrees and the high was 93. Uh, it was hot, but in St. Francisville, you're, you know, and especially in the Bluffs area, you're surrounded by these huge trees, these hardwood trees. So it, there's a lot of shade. So it's kind of comfortable. Uh, it was partly cloudy which made it even a little bit more comfortable. And a great, it was just a great day to be outside. And riding bikes on those trails is what Miss Monique and her sons decided to do. They woke up. It's going to be great weather. It's not going to rain. You're going to have a little bit of clouds. Uh, it'd be a great day to ride those bikes. And so they decided to do that. Now, little did they know that Trevor Reese, he also planned on spending time outdoors. 
And he had something else planned. And it was something that would sadly and tragically alter all of their lives forever. And the actions that Trevor took that day, it devastated not only that family, but the communities of St. Francisville and Clinton. Everybody was shaken. And even to this day, y'all, they still are. Some describe the day, as a matter of fact, of something out of Grimm's fairy tales. It, you know, a child goes into the woods and a monster is hiding in the bushes and that monster kills him. So sometime in the afternoon, Monique, her boys, and some other friends, they decide to ride their bikes along those trails in the bluffs. And hiding in the bushes along that trail was Trevor, 16-year-old Trevor Reese. His weapon of choice, a box cutter. Monique allowed Jack to ride a little bit ahead of her, um, and they rode single file, side, not side by side. And the, and the reason for that is you m- might would have people coming the other direction on bikes and going towards you. So, you know, you want to give room uh, for somebody to pass you. So they didn't ride side by side. They rode single file, and Jack, being the youngest, wanted to lead, right? And he's... He's athletic, and, and he's wanting to lead that, that group of, of family. So he rides ahead of her, and they were in that group. Now, although there was not a lot of details on everything that transpired, there was a report that someone had uh, told of riding ahead of the group, and they actually saw Trevor standing on the side of the trail. He was wearing a backpack, and he was holding something in his hand as they passed by. Of course, they did not realize until a few seconds later why he was there. And Trevor Reese didn't waste any time. When he saw Jack riding closer and closer to him, he attacks Jack. And Jack fought, even as an eight-year-old child. He fought. In fact, Trevor had to chase him after Jack got away from him at one point. The same witness heard screams almost immediately after passing Trevor and returned to find Monique in a desperate attempt to save Jack. Now, keep in mind. Uh, Monique is a physician. She's a doctor and she's off of her bike and she is performing CPR on her bloodied son. Absolutely disgusting. Horrible. Could you imagine your eight year old son on the ground has been attacked by a box cutter slitting his throat and you're on top of him and you're performing CPR. Now, during this time, Trevor walks out of the woods and he asks a carpenter who was doing construction on a house in the neighborhood, in the Bluffs neighborhood. This carpenter is, you know, putting in floors or whatever and 
M walks Trevor Reese, who just murdered an eight-year-old child, and he's only 16 at this time. He has blood all over his clothing, and he tells that carpenter to dial 911 that he had just stabbed someone. And later on, it was reported that one of the workers asked Trevor, why? Why did you stab someone? And you're not going to believe what Trevor Reese responds with. He says, because he was the first one there. That was his response. Wow. What an asshole. So Jack was stabbed repeatedly in the front and the back with that box cutter. And his neck was so severely cut, he was almost decapitated. So Trevor is obviously quickly arrested. I mean, he went straight to that carpenter's construction house and tells on himself he wasn't trying to hide, obviously, and he gets arrested And he is brought to the West Feliciana Parish Prison. And, you know, the the police start collecting evidence. Now, it was later determined that Jack's blood was found on Trevor's, Trevor's clothing. It was found on what he was wearing. It was found on the knife and even on the trail. So they had him, you know, busted. I mean, there was no way out of this. Of course, he told on himself anyway, but they had evidence so no one could say, you know, this kid's crazy and was just trying to take credit for this. He saw it or something and was trying to take credit for it. No, he he, DNA all over him. That's how horrific this was. And meanwhile, Jack is fighting for his life and he's rushed to the West Feliciana Parish Hospital where sadly and tragically he is pronounced dead so news travels fast in small towns we all know that and everybody hears about this in you know short time and the next day which was friday june 11th of 2010 district judge william carmichael rules that due to the nature of the crime And the fact that Trevor would be turning 17 in very short order, uh, he was eligible for prosecution as an adult and ordered Trevor to be held without bail, at least until the grand jury, jury hearing, which was the next week. It was also ruled because of his age that he would not face the death penalty. So the following Thursday, a state grand jury formally charges Trevor Reese with first-degree murder, and they set an arraignment, and that arraignment was continued until Thursday, July 8th. So what happens, you know, Trevor Reese gets an attorney, and he gets an attorney by the name of Lewis Unglesby, and... Let me tell you all about Lewis Unglesby. Lewis Unglesby is a amazing defense attorney, has a big reputation, and he is a no joke defense attorney. I don't I don't know if 
he took this, you know, he's very expensive. Uh, and I don't know if he took this case per bono or if he took this case for money, but he is hired to represent Trevor Reese and Unglesby cites a previously scheduled court appearance that will prevent him from appearing on June 24th, which was when they originally had the arraignment. So that's why, incidentally, they moved that to, they had a continuance to Thursday, July 8th. And a district attorney, the district attorney for that area, was a gentleman by the name of Sam DeQuilla. And he was opposed to that continuance, but he fought it. And they allowed that continuance to happen. And on July 8th, he gets arraigned. Unglesby obviously enters a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity for Trevor uh, Reese. And that's typical. You're never going to plead guilty without a trial to life in prison. Never, ever, ever is that going to happen. And almost uh, in every situation where it's a situation like what I just presented you, they're going to try to use an insanity defense and Trevor Reese just holds his head down and he had his hands and feet shackled during this arraignment and didn't say a whole lot. Well, he didn't say anything. Trevor's parents, Derek and Lisa, they were quiet as they were escorted from the courthouse. Unglesby stated that the case. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This has never been about what happened, but why it happened. That was, um, that was Unglesby's version of it. I, I would challenge that, and I would say it's all about what happened. Um, this horrific, horrible murder of this eight-year-old that kind of infuriates me. That particular statement, but that's what he said. You know, I couldn't imagine being his parents. Uh, the parents of Trevor Reese, I'm sure they were shocked as well. Uh, and what he says many times on the show, and and I say on the show that, you know, the victims branch far out. The families are victims, too, on both sides. And I, I don't know these people. 
but uh, you know, I couldn't imagine my child doing something like that and having to deal with that if they if they were in fact good people. So during that kind of continuous there between June 24th and July 8th, there was some psychological testing done. And of course, Unglesby had that done because they're going with that insanity defense. And so they have to do these psychological tests to prove that he's crazy, right? Uh, And the insanity plea, you know, it plagued that small community with questions. And people wondered, how did Trevor become a monster? Did Trevor kill Jack because of video games? You know, that was a, a question. And what could his parents have done differently? Uh, Were there signs? Was he acting strange? Did he post things on social media? Uh, You know, the murder was talked about on the national news. That's how big this was, y'all. You know, Fox News was covering this. Uh, People had questions, especially about the insanity plea, and they wanted answers. Everybody was talking. This was a huge case because it involved just this precious child and honestly the individual that did the killing was not your typical what you would think of as a murderer he was you know this gifted and talented student at a very affluent baton rouge school his you know uh, for all intents and purposes came from a good family they lived in a a very affluent area of you know St. Francisville, Louisiana. So obviously they had money and this happens and you know parents were probably thinking or really people in general that if this could happen to these people, it could happen to me. I mean, people were up in arms over this thing and rightfully so. So various dates for pre-trial and trial were set, moved of course, anytime you have these especially high-profile murder cases, uh, it takes forever, sadly, for for the wheels of justice to turn. Now, on March 14th of 2013, Trevor drops his insanity defense, and he pleads guilty to second-degree murder. Interestingly enough, he was scheduled to go on trial the following Monday for first-degree murder, but he ends up, you know, he's dead to rights. He cuts cops a plea and he takes a second degree murder charge instead of first degree murder. Now, interestingly enough, even beyond that is at that particular time when he did that, he didn't really get anything out of it because second degree and first degree in the eyes of the Louisiana law were identical in the sentencing that you would get. They're both life in prison. So I'm not, you know, a hundred percent clear why he took that plea. And, of course, he didn't have any risk of the death penalty, where with first-degree murder, they could go for the death penalty. It was well known that they weren't seeking the death penalty anyway. They were just seeking life in prison. So that kind of puzzled me a little bit. Now, in our prior episodes, we talked a little bit about the juvenile sentencing. And actually, in 2012, when Trevor was still, you know, obviously he hadn't had his court date yet, And the Supreme Court, they ruled that mandating a life sentence without consideration of the possibility of parole would be unconstitutional when the murder was committed by a juvenile. So that was the federal law. Louisiana hadn't adopted that yet, but they were looking at adopting it. And we've covered all this in prior episodes. So go listen to those if you can. But that came into play here. And Judge Carmichael 
when he sentenced Trevor Reese, he took that into consideration. He took into consideration that new Supreme Court ruling. And he also questioned Trevor about that change in plea. He wanted to make sure that Trevor understood that the hearing could still result in a life sentence and hard labor, you know, for the rest of his life. And because he was like me, he probably couldn't understand why he would take a plea to second degree murder when the sentence is going to be the same. But Trevor responds to each question. Yes, sir. And Judge Carmichael also poses the same questions to Lewis Unglesby and Lance Unglesby, which both attorneys, and they reply that they also understood that. So Judge Carmichael then explained that the state and defense could call witnesses during the hearing to present uh, what attorneys believe is evidence the court should consider in deciding on that sentence. District Attorney DeQuilla at that time mentioned that Monique, Jack's mother, may want to give a victim's impact statement during that hearing. So let's get into a little bit of the psychology and they had a guy by the name of Dr. Robert Davis and he examined Trevor shortly after the murder and his findings were that Trevor was an abnormal teen who had a superior intellect as we told you uh, an IQ between 120 and 129 and he went on to say that after the murder Reese was emotionally crushed and intellectually confused. That was his words. He said he did not feel the excitement he expected to feel. He expected to feel relief, but instead was faced with an emotional cascade that was completely opposite of what he expected. Doctor went on to further state that Trevor committed the crime based on the false belief and delusion that he thought he was a serial killer. He said that Trevor said he was anticipating being a serial killer. He stated that he thought he didn't feel relief because he had done something wrong in the process of the murder. He thought that if he did it again differently, perhaps to a female, that he would find relief. That from that doctor. Now, are you beginning to see, you know, what I see, which is that Trevor is definitely a monster. Is he insane? I don't think so. But he's definitely a monster. And another witness, the court-appointed psychiatrist, Dr. George Satan, added to Dr. Davis's line of thinking. And he stated that he was troubled by the fact that Trevor showed no remorse. He, he showed remorse, y'all, for the fact that he didn't feel like he thought he would feel after the murder, but he didn't show remorse for the murder. And he said the absence of remorse is a predictor of repeating that behavior. Most people feel guilt that inhibits them from doing it again. It isn't the doing of wrong that worries me. Good people do wrong things. It's just how we process those things afterward, that from Dr. Satan. And I think he's top notch on that thought. That is the troubling thing is he wants to do it again because it didn't come out like he expected it would. He didn't say, I don't want to do it again because I feel horrible about it. That should tell you a lot. And Satan continued on, and he said the outcome of the murder was inconsistent with his plan. He expected to feel good afterwards, and he was disappointed when he didn't. He knew that what he had done was wrong, but he didn't have remorse. He was mad at himself because he thought he had not committed the murder in the correct way to garner the expected emotional result. 
And that was Dr. Satan's thoughts. Wow. Now, in lieu of Miss Monique giving her own impact statement, Dr. Daquila called Dr. Owen Scott, who was Monique's therapist, to make a statement on her behalf. Think about it, y'all. She, um, it was just too hard for her to get up there and do. She just, you know, it hurt her too much. And Scott starts off by explaining that Monique suffers from PTSD. She relentlessly re-experiences the events that took place on that day and had a high level of emotional agony after being subjected to something no parent should endure. Not only was her son murdered, she was the one who had to perform CPR on him. And, and oh my gosh, I just could not imagine. How awful is that? And Monique wrote a letter to Dr. Scott. In this letter, she stated, I've lost the happiness, most joyful soul I've ever known. And Scott then explained that upon finding Jack, Monique had to shift into a medical mindset to assess her medical knowledge to try to save his life. It was as if she were an emergency room doctor working on a patient. So instead of being able to respond to Jackson in the last moments of his life as a loving mother, she was forced to react as a doctor to an impossibly terrible situation. Wow, that gives me goosebumps. So not only did Trevor take her child, he took her ability to love on and care for her son in his final moments. And Scott goes on to say that she wants you to know that Jackson wasn't left unsupervised. He was right ahead of her and Jackson was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Monique now realizes there was nothing she could have done regardless of medical equipment because Jackson's neck was partially severed except for his spine. So his spine was the only thing keeping um, his head on. How horrible. And the the fact that this, this uh, amazing mother would have to actually say in her victim impact statement that she wants people to know he wasn't left unsupervised to me is disgusting and sick that she should even have to say that because you know there's people out there that judge you know they're assholes they just got to be judgy have to be judgy and you should have done this and you should have done that. And they know because they would have done it different. And they're thinking, well, why was he riding ahead of her? He should have been right beside her. Y'all, this happened in a matter of seconds. You go around a curve. You see your son go around a curve. You're hitting that same curve as soon as he goes out of it. In five seconds, he's going to be right in front of you. You turn that curve and he's on the ground with his neck. Almost severed. Shame on you if you try to judge this woman, in my opinion. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Now, when Unglesby asked Dr. Scott if Monique felt any relief knowing that Trevor confessed, Dr. Scott said no. 
she feels that Trevor is a threatening individual and the idea of him being eligible for parole is frightening to her. Wayne Atuso, Jack's grandfather, was the next to speak. His victim impact statement, y'all, was heart-wrenching. First, he asked D.A. Dequila to give Trevor a picture of Jackson. He then stated, I want you to stare at that picture because you will see that face when you wake up every morning at times during the day before you go to sleep at night and actually for the rest of your life. This is the curse that I put on you. You knew nothing about Jack. He was a little boy who loved life. We called him Smiling Jack. The devastation you caused my family will heal eventually, but a scar will always be there. The hole you created in our hearts is filled with all the wonderful memories that we have for Jack. In the week following Jack's death, I was insane with hatred. I never knew I was capable of that kind of hatred that I had for you. Since then, I've come to my senses and I don't hate you anymore, but I will never forgive you. That's not my job. That belongs to someone other than me. After today, I will close the chapter on you. You will not exist in my family's world. It's my hope that if you ever do leave prison, it will be Feet first in a pine box. Well said. Well said by Jack's grandfather. And then Craig Atuso begins his statement. And that Jack's father. And he's visibly shaking y'all when he gets up there and he says, watching my wife. Over the last three years has certainly been difficult, painful. After hearing everything today, I ask you to impose the maximum sentence. And that's pretty much all he had to say. He was, he was very, very shaken. And as everyone spoke, Trevor just sits there. He rocks back and forth in his seat. He takes some deep breaths before taking the stand. Sobbing, he essentially whispers that he is sorry. And he says that he has tried to understand how bad he hurt all of them. He explains that he knows Jack was innocent and he realizes that he didn't deserve to die. He tries to give the excuse that he was twisted up inside and crazy. And he explains that he had been miserable all the time and hated himself. Trevor says that he was always alone and no one ever noticed. When Unglesby asked why he didn't ask for help, Trevor said he didn't want anyone to know the thoughts that were in his head. He said people would hate him if they knew the thoughts were in his head, and now people do know, and people do hate him. He goes on to explain that he watched movies about murder because he felt similarities with the murders and thought that was significant. I really felt like I was that kind of person, he said. He thought he had to be like them to be successful. He thought about killing all the time. It was like it was meant to be, faded, 
You don't get to choose what person you are. I wouldn't have these thoughts if I weren't really this kind of person. But the second it happened, I wanted to take it back. I know I'm not a serial killer. I know myself better now. I can't hurt again. He then states that he would kill himself to bring back Jack. I killed your son. I'm sorry. All that makes me feel better is that Jack is in heaven. I can't believe he said that. Dequila then asked Trevor what would happen if he got out. And Trevor replied that he did not want to get out until he goes to hell. Dequila then says, you can save us all some time by just saying you want to go to jail for the rest of your life. And of course, Unglesby immediately objects, and Dequila then asks Trevor what happened that day. And Trevor responds, I attacked him because he was weaker than me. I'm a weak person. I cut up both my knees while kneeling over him because he was fighting so hard. I took Jackson's choices away. I'm ashamed. I stood by the trail and just waited for him to go by. Nothing was going through my mind. It was just actions. I told the doctors and the police the truth about what I was feeling at the time, but that's not how I feel anymore. It changes. The truth changes. And Wayne Atuso, that grandfather, very highly emotional, stood up and said, look at me, boy. To a gasp in the courtroom. And finally, Trevor's dad, Derek, was last. He said the death was senseless and his family was sorry for all the pain that it had caused. Derek then says, I failed my son. Everyone tells me that Trevor did this in spite of the way I raised him, not because of it. I understand that, but the guilt and the shame will never go away. Wayne, I accept your curse. I'm the dad. He's my son. It's my responsibility. We are so ashamed. And Derek ended by speaking about the hope for the world and a few final thoughts for Trevor. Judge Carmichael sentenced Trevor to life behind bars without the benefit of parole, probation, or suspension of sentence. And Trevor was taken to Angola, bloody Angola, for life. And I, and I want to say something real quick on Derek, the father, and I touched on that earlier, but there are victims on both sides sometimes in these cases. And this is this is one and, you know, my heart goes out to his dad, too, I guess, because I'm a dad. And I couldn't imagine the guilt and just uh, it makes me want to throw up thinking about if my son had done something horrific like that. I just couldn't imagine. He seems like a good person and had no answers. And all he could do was take responsibility as the dad of saying, maybe this is my fault somehow. I don't know that it is. You know, sometimes people just do sick shit, no matter how good you raise them. Maybe this was something like that. So he goes through his appeals and he exhausts those appeals. 
and nothing of any consequence happens except for, um, you know, obviously the change in law. And because of this change in law, at some point, Trevor Reese will be allowed an opportunity at parole, only an opportunity. And that's, you know, highlight that y'all doesn't mean he's getting out one day. It just means he gets the opportunity at parole at some point due to the change in the uh, sentencing laws for youth. The Bluffs golf course, it's been sold, uh, you know, several times over the years. And and now it, it doesn't exist. It's overgrown and closed. Um, and Trevor's family moved to Texas and sold their house in the Bluffs in 2011. Woody and I both love and appreciate all of y'all's support of what we do with Bloody Angola. I know we say it all the time, but patron members, Apple Podcast subscribers, we could not do this without you, period. Um, thank you so much for your constant support of everything that we do to bring you the history and some of the stories of the inmates of Louisiana's bloodiest prison. And until next time, I'm Jim Chapman. And for Woody Overton, we're your host of Bloody Angola, a podcast 142 years in the making, the complete story of America's bloodiest prison. Peace. I walk a straight line, shackled and chained. Oh, gruesome Gertie is calling my name. There is no mercy in this penitentiary. Just ask the Hill String Gang, Wrangler. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. 
In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.